0: So this guy died and went to heaven. We're going to figure out how to get the lights on too here in a minute. And if we don't, then we're going to preach in the dark. I told you it's been one of those mornings. The demons that are technology, this guy died and went to heaven. And St. Peter met him at the pearly gates and said, Welcome to heaven. Before you go in and talk to the big guy, I'm curious. What would you say is one of the nicest things that you've ever done? The guy thought about it for a second. He said, well, St. Peter, believe it or not, one time I was just minding my own business, and I saw this little old lady walking down the road, and suddenly out of nowhere this thug of men circled around her, and they robbed her. They knocked the lady down, And this sense of bravery came upon me, and I jumped up, and I got in their face, and I said, get your hands off of her. You'll not touch her. Peter looked at the guy and said, man, you're not a big guy. You really did that? And the guy said, I did. I I don't know what came over me. I was just sitting there, and I was like, these men are not going to do this to this lady. And Peter said, man, that's impressive. When was that? I said, the best I can tell about two or three minutes ago, (laughs) heaven, the subject of heaven, I got to be honest with you today, I I really am dreading this message, not because I dread heaven, it's just a hard message to teach, If, if you're new to Action Church, you might find this surprising, I've always been that type of preacher who's not really concerned with how much biblical knowledge you have. I'm much more concerned with how you're living out the biblical knowledge you do have. I think the church does a great job of getting up and going real, real deep in the Word of God every week, but not talking about how that principle that they're going deep on applies to your everyday life. And I pride myself, I tell people all the time, I'm not the deepest preacher that you will ever hear. I'm definitely not the smartest preacher that you will ever hear. But I like to say that I'm a very practical teacher. You're going to leave here after a Sunday and say, this is how that applies to my life. And I, I found it very difficult this week as I was studying. We're going to be talking about the subject of heaven And I found it very difficult because I was listening and studying and going over stuff and it was just information, 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 information. And I was trying to twist and say, how does that apply to our life? And hopefully at the end of the message, I'll make it apply. But I'm going to kind of overload you today on information. Because the reality is, most people, especially Christ followers, have no clue about the reality of heaven. We have no clue what heaven is like. We sing about heaven. We preach about heaven. We talk about how when our time on earth is done, we'll be in heaven. But the reality is, most of us know very little about this place called heaven. I pastor a relatively young church, meaning the people that attend this church are relatively young. With the exception of Doug Knight, everyone else is pretty young. And because of that, it's very rare that I have to deal with funerals. This week I had two funerals of people who have attended our church in the past. And I talked a lot about heaven at those funerals, and I was studying about heaven. And the reality is, is most people only know what they know about heaven from what Hollywood has taught us about heaven. Different movies. If you grew up like I did, this is the greatest way to age yourself. If you grew up like I did, or you're older than me, your perception of God for a long time was George Burns. Now all of you out there, you young whippersnappers that are like, who is George Burns? Go Google it. Treat yourself to some movies this week. The upcoming generation, they associate Morgan Freeman with God, because that's who played him in Hollywood. But the sad reality is most of us don't really understand what heaven is like. In fact, it's funny. We talk about heaven and we we preach about heaven, but we have this weird misconception about heaven. And this weird misconception we have about heaven, we act like we're excited about it, but really the truth is it's not exciting. We have this image that heaven is a forever long church service. That sounds like hell to me. We think this must be what heaven's like. We're going to sing worship songs forever. You guys can't make it through four worship songs without being bored. So why would we get excited about heaven? The reality is most people don't understand what heaven is going to be like and I thought about that this week, and I thought about why that was, and I wrote this down, and I don't know this to be true, but I have a theory, and theories are dangerous. But I wrote down this week, I believe the reason most people have a misconception about heaven is very simply because the reality of heaven is under attack. And I'll break that down for you here in a few minutes. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians two nine. however, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The reality is heaven's a hard subject to teach on because our minds can't comprehend heaven. I like to think I'm a creative person. I like to think I'm a visionary person. I like to think that I am a big, wild imagination person. I joke that I have more fun in my dreams than most people have awake. But the reality is we can't fathom what heaven will be like. Our minds on this side of the earth cannot comprehend what heaven will be like. And as I was getting frustrated this weekend, I'm that person that when I get frustrated, I know none of you are guilty of this. It's only me and my imperfections. I get frustrated I take it out on everyone around me. My wife asked me 20 million times this week. You good? Yeah, I'm good. You seem on edge. You good? You're not you coming home, you got a chip on your shoulder, you got an attitude. And you feel really stupid to look at and say, "Yeah, I got an attitude. I'm studying about heaven." <laughs> it was frustrating to me. It, it was overwhelming to me. I wrote out an outline and tore it up, and I wrote down another outline. I put together all these verses, and I had almost 15 pages of notes on heaven. And I was like, man, this would be the greatest Sunday school lesson ever if I was just teaching on the facts of heaven. But I want to talk about how it applies to our life. But it's hard because you can't put into words what you can't fathom. You ever had one of those moments where you just think, I wish this moment would last forever. Anybody had those type of moments? My wife and I went hiking one time. We used to hike a lot. Then we got lost hiking and ended up hiking like 20-something miles one day, and we gave up hiking, (laughs) as you can tell. But I remember one time we went hiking, and we had packed our lunch. We came to this beautiful waterfall, and it was a really good lunch. We had basically stopped at Chick-fil-A and put it in our bags. So, you know, there's Chick-fil-A waiting. Like the Lord's chicken is waiting for you. The whole time you're walking, you have a little pep in your step that you know the Christian chicken is going to nourish you. And we get to this waterfall and we sit on this little bridge and we eat our Chick-fil-A and angels are singing as the Christian chicken is being devoured and the beauty of nature is coming down. And I remember thinking to myself, I could sit here with this woman at this place in this moment forever. It was a breathtaking view. And I remember thinking to myself, it doesn't get any better than this. But the truth of the matter is for those of us who are believers in Jesus, it gets better than that. It gets better than any moment that you could ever look back on and say it gets no better than this because our minds can't comprehend, our mind cannot fathom the place that God has created for us. Before he returned to heaven, he told the disciples, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's handcrafted for us, but we can't get our minds around it because like I said a few minutes ago, I believe with everything that is in me, heaven's under attack. Isaiah 14 tells us about Lucifer. We know him as the prince of darkness, Satan, the devil. Also as George Burns. (laughs) He said, I thought that was God. You got to go watch the movies. Go watch the movies. The father of the lies. Satan was actually in heaven. He was a very important player in heaven. The story goes that he wanted to become on par with God. The one position that he couldn't have was to be like God, and he rebelled against God, and God kicked Satan out of heaven, and he took one-third of the angels with him. That's what we now classify as demons. And they get kicked out of heaven, and they go to the place that was created for them. And I believe with everything that is in me, because if I was Satan, and I've been called that before, and I wanted to mislead Christ's followers, if I wanted to get them off track, one of the things that I would do is I would corrupt the place that was created for them in their minds. The eternal hope that we have, the Bible calls it. The place that we know that when we take our last breath here, we'll spend eternity there. I would mock it, I would downplay it, I would put out misconceptions about it. I would make this place that God created for us seem like an eternal church service to where it was boring. Where we would lose our zeal about the place God has created for. As you read the New Testament, you'll see Paul over and over and over. He talks about the fact that he's on this earth and he has a purpose on this earth and he has a mission on this earth and he has a calling on this earth. But he knows this is just temporary, that his ultimate reward is waiting for him on the other side in a place called heaven. Paul longed for heaven because he understood heaven. If we were to be honest, we don't long for heaven. We don't think about heaven. We don't realize that God and accept and get excited about the fact that God's created a place for us because the devil's come along and he's created lies. lie. Lie number one, I think he says he's taught us a lie, that heaven can wait. He wants us to believe that heaven can wait. That heaven, though it may be a good place to go, We shouldn't get excited about it. We shouldn't have a sense of urgency about it because the reality is you're pretty happy here. It's like some of you women out there. You're content with that four when God had a 10 ready for you. Don't get any amens on that? She had a 10. We get to where we're content. We settle for less than what God had for us. We look at earth here and we think, man, this is as good as it gets. Heaven can wait. I'm not going to get excited about heaven. And the reality is, we treasure more what's happening on earth than what God has for us in heaven. I always tell people every time I do a funeral, I say, if your loved one could come back for one second. It wouldn't be to tell you that they love you. It wouldn't be to tell you that they miss you. It would be to tell you, man, I have now seen heaven, and heaven is real. The reality is our hearts drift more towards the things of this world than the world to come. One preacher was talking one time, and he asked the crowd, he said, how many of you want to go to heaven today? Everybody raised their hand except for one person. And it bothered him. He saw the one person. He said, well, we want to go to heaven. He was maybe he didn't understand me. He said, how many of you want to go to heaven today? And everybody stood up except the one guy. And he moved on with his sermon. Afterwards, he made a beeline towards that. He goes, I got, got to be honest with you. I don't understand why when your time is here is done, you wouldn't want to go to heaven. And the guy said, I do want to go to heaven when my time here is done. I thought you were getting a group up right now. we're really honest we think our life here is so great how could heaven be any better but here's what the bible says in psalms eighty four ten: better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere let me tell you something you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who loves life more than i do i love my life I love every aspect of my life. I have, like I said, I have lived my life by my rules. I have done what I wanted to do, and when I want to do something, I go do it. I have a wife who supports me in all my crazy dreams and all my crazy ideas, and I have kids that I love and only want to kill 70% of the time, so there's 30% of the time they're awesome. Man, life is good. The Bible says, Better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day. Think about this. Better is one moment with God in heaven than our best days anywhere else. (laughs) I I would argue that your most dullest, most meaningless moment in heaven exceeds your greatest moment here. If you ever had one of those moments that just said, man, I wish this moment could last forever, let me promise you it will not happen on earth, but in heaven it will. Better is one day in your courts. Psalm says this, it says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, what we know today is very simply temporary pleasures. Pleasure comes for a moment, and then it's gone. But Satan has got us so focused on the moment that we have forgot about eternity. We've forgotten this is not the end game. We're just passing through. There's a purpose for our time here. There's a vision for our time here. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You might have been a whoops to mommy and daddy, but God created you and he shaped you and he formed you with a plan and a purpose. He told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in your womb and I separated you for greatness. You were created for greatness. But this is just temporary. Temporary. This doesn't measure up to what heaven is. And if we would ever comprehend that as good as life is here, it's nothing compared to the next world. I I don't know what happens as we get older and our days become shorter, but everything becomes in perspective. I'll never forget when Christine's grandmother, Rick's mother, was passing away. It went on for days. But she had this peace about her. I can't describe it. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. It passes what we're able to understand. But over and over she said, I'm ready to go home. It wasn't that she was suicidal. She just knew that this was temporary. And heaven was forever. See, Satan's bought us into that lie that heaven can wait and it's not that important, so focus not on it. Lie number two is he's bought us into the lie of most people are going to go to heaven. Most people are going to go to heaven. A good God wouldn't send good people to a place called hell. He created heaven for them. I saw a survey this week for every 120 people who believe they're going to heaven, only one believes they're dying and going to hell. 120 to 1. Everyone thinks they're going to hell. Why? I'm not a bad guy. I'm a religious person. Do you know how much money I gave at the church? And then the church, which has turned into a business, has convinced people... As long as you do our bidding, though they'll never say it that way, you're good. Billy Graham said the greatest mission field in all the world is inside the four church walls every Sunday morning. A lot of people who think they have a relationship with Jesus Christ simply have a religion with a higher power. A religion says do this, do this, and do this, and a relationship with Christ said I already did this when I died on the cross for your sins. There's nothing you can do. I might have caused a scene yesterday at the funeral. They brought another pastor in. And I heard him talking to the family. And here's the deal. He's a good man. I know him. And he meant well. Here's a family dealing with the suicide of their son. And they're broken and they're hurt. And he was just loading them up. With every cliche religious verse there was, there was no empathy in him as he was giving them those cliche words that he's given to people for 50 years. So it was my turn to take the stage. I won't say the Holy Spirit led me to say this, because I can get in the flesh sometimes. But I looked at that family and I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. It was a new funeral home for me, too. They weren't used to me. And I said, I'm so sorry for asshole preachers who just give you cliche verses and don't care at all that you're hurting. And there was a gasp over the crowd. And I meant every word of what I said. We've got churches that are just full of religion instead of heaven. <laughs> I hope I'm going to heaven. How would you hope when you can know? <laughs> Man, everyone's going to heaven. The Bible says this in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter it. But small is the gate and there is the road that leads to life and only a few. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. The, 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 the road that leads to destruction is the road that thinks we can earn our way into heaven. Our good deeds will exceed our bad deeds. My church membership can get me to heaven. My giving can get me to heaven. My serving can get me to heaven. But do you know I'm a good person, and I'm not saying you're not a good person. But the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's hard for you. to. Let me just rabbit trail for a minute. Let me rabbit trail for a minute. I did a funeral this week for Willie. For those of you who don't know Willie, Willie was a basically, for all intents and purposes, a homeless man who attended our church since the day we started. If you live in Canton, you know who Willie, even if you don't know who Willie is. You've seen him walking around, long beard, knife on, thing, most of the time shirtless. Willie was murdered a couple of weeks ago. I did his funeral this week. 20 something years of doing funerals. I had such low expectations told my wife, my son was having football practice. Said, I said, I'll be in and out in 20 minutes, and I'll be at football practice. I said, there's going to be no one there. I said, but he deserves a funeral. Is Denise Holloway in here? I think she's in the kids area. She was there. This place was slammed with people. And people got up on stage, and they told me, we're going to open up the floor. And I was like, that if you're a preacher and you've ever done a funeral, it's the worst thing in the world. I was like, here we go. First of all, one th- of one two things happens. No one comes up. It's awkward. Our people come up, and they ramble for 30 to 40 minutes. This lady walks up. Now, remember, homeless Willie. This lady, well, first thing I know this is horrible. I'm not saying I'm right for this. She starts to walk up. On stage. I said, this lady looks normal. She got behind the stage, and she said, Willie was my boyfriend when I was 10 years old. And she said, to this day, he's still my heart. I'm married and have kids, but my kids will see him walking around, and they'll say, Mom, look, there goes your heart. She goes, he's my heart because he was always there for me. She said, I dropped out of school and went to get my GED, and I was so scared about going to the GED class. Willie, the, person, the homeless guy that no one knew anything about. She said every day he would walk five to six miles and sit in the classroom with me where I wouldn't get up and leave. She had some kind of problem with her child. I think the child got sick or something. I can't remember the whole story. She said, Willie walked almost 11 miles to come sit with her. And I'm like, Willie did that? Talking. Are we talking about the same guy? This other guy gets up and said, Willie built decks with me for 20-something years. And he said he was family to me. <laughs> this is what he said. I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, "What?" He said he's the only person I'd let stay in my home. That's how much I trusted him. My kids loved him, and he loved my kids, and protected my kids on more than one occasion. I'm like, "Really?" Then this lady gets up. Like, I don't know if she owned or she works at Georgian Hills. And she said, every Friday night, we stay open late. We only open for breakfast and lunch. The other times, we're open on Friday nights. Speaking of which, I didn't know George and was open on Friday night. Why didn't someone tell the fat guy? And she said, every Friday night, Willie would come to the restaurant and stay there until every one of the ladies got to their car safely. And he wouldn't leave until we pulled out of the parking lot. And I thought to myself, this is a guy that most people would look at and say, man, there's no use for him. And his good deeds don't outweigh his bad deeds. But that's what religion does. Religion looks at those things. When God looks at the heart. Man, broad is the way. So I believe heaven's under attack. Heaven can wait. Everyone goes to heaven. But I want to spend the next little bit of this sermon talking about What I think the Bible says about heaven, I'm going to try to tie it up. And I I, I know I'm about to overload you with information. I know that's not our style, but, but sometimes you need to learn some of the doctrines of the Bible. And one of those precious doctrines you can learn is the doctrine of heaven. There's so much in the Bible about it, but we'll hang out in Revelation 21. Here's what the Bible says. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth Don't go to the next verse, Tanya. I'm going to hang out here for a minute. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So John says, I saw what? He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old one had passed away, and he said there was no longer any sea. That doesn't mean for all you boat lovers there's no more water in heaven. The sea in biblical times was a picture of, of turmoil, of strife. Because in those days, the sea would rage and the boats couldn't handle it. And what he was saying was, I saw a place where there was no more strife and no more heartache and no more pain. In verse two, he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It was coming down from heaven and God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three says, "I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Paul's right there. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne. That's the 20th time in Revelation that this phrase is used. And it's the final time that it was used. It said, a loud voice from heaven. And the very next words are probably the most important words to the heart of God. It said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. So let's go back to verse 1, if we can. I'm going to read through all of these. He said, then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, and the first heaven and the the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There's no longer any turmoil. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared as a bride. Remember, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What he was preparing for us is now coming to earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will be their God, and he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to try to be real quick about it. At the end of the day, you're all staying here to eat, so I really ain't, ain't got to beat anybody to the restaurants today. You say, what's so important about this verse so much is important about it? Number one, I want you to realize God's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Point number one, God's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. This may be new to you. And I'm not going to debate it with you. I believe I I could be wrong in this. I do not act like I know all the answers, but I believe this is biblically accurate. There's a lot of different opinions on this, but even the most conservative scholars seem to believe this is true, that there will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Following the return of Jesus, following the thousand-year reign, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. The same God who offers you life in Christ, the same God who gave you a new, resurrected, glorified body is going to bring about a new heaven and new earth. And that's important. In Luke 16, we talk about the story of those who die without Christ. Remember, he's a rich guy, and the Bible says he went to a place called Hades. In some versions of the Bible, it was translated as hell. We know, though, that eventually Scripture says that death and Hades will be thrown into an eternal fire. So basically, the current heaven and the current hell will be evaporated. The current hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, and the current dwelling place of the saints will be set up where there's a new heaven. There's so many verses that confirm this throughout the Bible. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter 3.13 says, but in keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. So there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Going along with this line of thinking, basically this earth. With all the wonderful things about it and none of the horrible things about it. The beauty of this earth without the pain of heartache and the pain of sin and the pain of deceit. The things we enjoy here, this is probably where I'm getting off base a little bit, and I, you probably can think i mean, but I like to think the things that we like here, we'll have there. If you like to play golf here, on that new earth, man, you're gonna play courses that you've never seen before. The things that we love here now will be here in this new heaven. I think that we live in a beautiful world. I'm amazed sometimes when I drive around and I just see the beauty especially of our country, especially of North Georgia. No place like it. He said there'll be a new earth, a new heaven, and it'll be full of beauty. And I can't describe it to you. I wanted to write out this elegant thing, I wanted it to be like, but I can't because I've never been there. But there'll be a new heaven, new earth. It'll be a perfect place. And if you think this world is good now, I need you to understand Something. We live in a world that's under a curse. That's why when people say things are getting worse and worse, well, no joke. This book says they will. That's what it says, but in this new heaven, and this new earth, that will no longer be the case. We'll see things as they were meant to be, so there'll be a new heaven and new earth. The second thing I want you to know is God will do away with death, mourning, and pain. He'll do away with death, mourning, and pain. Somebody say amen right there. We could close it out right there. That makes heaven great to me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying, and there will be no more pain. For the older, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want you to think about what bothers you the most. What ails you the most. Maybe it's a physical ailment. It's a headache. It's a... It's a disease, it's sickness. Maybe it's a relational heartache, grudge, unforgiveness. You've hurt someone, they've hurt you. Maybe it's emotional baggage that you carry. Grew up with horrible parents, you are a horrible parent. Maybe you have no relationship, no friends. I don't know what it is. The things that bring you pain, what it, your hurt, your habit, and your hang-up. This new heaven and this new earth. Those will be gone. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more heartbreak. (laughs) No more worried about losing the one you love. No more death ever again. Sometimes we find it difficult to trust because people have hurt us. There'll be nothing but trust then heaven on earth it's going to be a beautiful place think about the world the new heaven the new no more poverty no more kids going hungry no more genocide no more aids no more no more political fights imagine a world with all this gone and that's what god's preparing for us So it's a place of beauty. It's a place that has everything we want, and then it's a place that doesn't have any of the heartache that we have. And and then last of all, and then I'm going to try to wrap it up in a neat little bow, I think the most important thing is God will dwell with us. Think about that for a minute. The creator of the universe will live with us. And that's a shocking statement, especially as you read the Bible and understand the holiness of God. When you look at Scripture and see those that somewhat looked upon God, they they couldn't handle His glory. They couldn't handle His goodness. Moses said, I just want to see you. I want to be And God said, you can't handle that. You can't handle that. He's not George Burns smoking a cigar. He's holiness personified. We're not worthy to look upon him. In the Old Testament, the high priest was only allowed to enter to the holies of holies once a year, the dwelling place of God at that time. And tradition tells us that when they went in, they would tie a rope around their waists. In case the shock of being in the presence of God killed them, they had to drag them back out. Yet, when the new heaven and the new earth is set up, God, our Father, our Creator, will dwell among us in our midst. We'll have access to Him like never before. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. The God that we have worshipped, the God that we have preached about, the God that we have put our faith in, the God that we have told people to cling to, now in physical form will be in front of us. and He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and their God. Do you understand this fulfills the greatest dream of God? Unbroken fellowship with us. No longer separated by sin, but God gets to commune with us. Revelation 22, 3 says, no longer will there be any curse. The curse of sin will be gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Man, this is powerful verses. But what does it mean for us? What it means for us is simply this, and I'm done. You Ready? Heaven is going to exceed our expectations. Heaven is a place that we should long for. Heaven is a place that should show us the love of God like never before because he loves us so much, he's creating it for you and I. We should long for it. We shouldn't fear death. Someone asked me the day, they said, Do you fear death? I said, I don't fear death. I fear dying. I don't want to die. I don't want to go through the process of dying. That's where they boom, I'm done. I don't want to drown. I don't want to get ate by a shark. I don't want someone to shoot me and I'm laying there with that pain. I don't want Christine to smother me in my sleep with a pillow. Dying sounds horrible. But I'm not afraid of death cuz the Bible says be absent from the body be present with the Lord. I'll be in his presence. And here's what we believe. We believe God's coming back again. And he's setting up a new heaven and a new earth. You say when? I don't know. I tell you this it's closer day than it was yesterday. And when you understand what God's created for you, here's the key. It changes how you live today. You no longer live a life of pettiness. You no longer live a life of fear. You no longer live a life worried about messing up because you're going to mess up. You begin to realize that you're here for a reason and the reasons God created you and God has a purpose for you. I want you to understand something. Every person here today, you have a purpose in life. I don't know what that purpose is, but you have a purpose. And when God's done, you fulfilled your purpose, you'll stand before God And this awesome place that He created will be your reward. But one of two things seems to happen. We forget about heaven and blow it off, or we become like these cults do. They long for it so much they don't live today. No, no, no. Get busy living today. Maximize every moment you have. Take the risk. Take the chance. Fall in love. Spend time with your kids. Chase the dream. Because you only get one shot at this thing called life before eternity in the incredible place that he's created for you. Paul said... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You say, what's that verse mean? Very simply, here's what it means. Paul's in prison. He's about to die. He doesn't know when he's going to die. And he doesn't care. Because he says, if I die, guess what? I gain everything. I gain heaven. I gain that place that God created for me. The place with no more sin, no more heartache, and no more sickness. He said, but if I live... While I continue to live, it's for Christ. I get to live carrying out the mission of God. So many of us are living for the next dollar, the next toy. We're living for all the wrong things instead of the purpose you were created for. I'm not anti-money and I ain't anti-toys. I got a lot of both. Well, let me rephrase. I don't got a lot of money. I got a lot of toys. Probably have more money if I didn't have so many toys. But I like toys. But you have a mission here. Someone asked me the other day, they said, With all your businesses and all that's going on and everything's growing and the well, why don't you just close down the church? And I said, This is my purpose. I do all of those things where I can do this. I can go work for, so I get job offers all the time. People want me to do stuff, but I wouldn't be able to do this. So I do all that where I can do this. Someone said, you see more passionate about those things. I'm not more passionate about those things. I'm passionate about this. Those put food on my table. These fulfill the purpose in me. You're stuck on me. You are my cross to carry. You are my punishment. <laughs> and I'm yours. But here's the deal. God has a purpose in your life. And then imagine if this group of people, everyone started living their life with purpose. You wouldn't be able to stop this church We're spreading the message of Christ. Christ changed the world with 12 men who understood their purpose. 11 really because one of them betrayed Him. But they understood their purpose. Imagine if everybody here understood their purpose. And this wasn't just something you do on Sunday because you're supposed to do it. She started living the life you were created for. We changed this city and we would change this county like it's never been changed before for the message of Jesus Christ. Heaven is real. Thank God for it. But we're not there today. So let's get busy leading people there today where we can worship there forever. Where the streets have no name. Let's pray.